0: Hello and welcome to Servants Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. Romans chapter 8, we'll be starting with uh, verse 18, finishing up chapter 8 and getting halfway through the book of Romans. And We just have a little while before Advent starts, so we'll be doing what we can in Romans, and then re-engaging after Easter. So I look forward to that. Time just keeps marching on. Verse 18. All right. The rest of this really focuses on uh, the problem of pain, as uh, C.S. Lewis put it in his title of that name, the struggle we have with struggle. It's very easy to to think, uh, because I'm a Christian now, you know, I shouldn't, uh, be going through any kind of suffering, <clears throat> a lot of young Christians fall into that trap. Uh, but the reality is it's not that way. Now, we do evade a lot, a great deal of suffering by not sowing sin, right? Uh, by living a life obedient to the Lord, we evade uh, a lot of the pain and, and, and trauma that people deal with in this life. But we are not exempt from suffering, and so we deal with all manner of suffering. We're going to talk about that in detail, the types of suffering that we deal with as Christians, Uh, and we're certainly not exempt from it. Um, One one person I thought of certainly was was Lori, uh, who attended our church a while back, and We first met her. She was in very bad shape physically, and she started coming to church. Uh, She was in a lot of pain, by the way, a physical condition where she was in very, very uh, almost constant excruciating pain. Uh, Most people in her condition uh, die from suicide because the pain is so constant and so bad. And... when, you know, God does heal people, I've seen it, and, you know, I kind of wondered, you know, if she gives her heart to the Lord, if God might uh, do that for her, and uh, she gave her heart to the Lord at the same time we helped her get out of the living condition she was in, and her health seemed to improve for a while, but then she got worse again, and in the last uh, couple years of her life, she was hardly able to to leave her bed, let alone come to church, and that that brought with it a lot of uh, a lot of suffering, a lot of mental anguish besides physical anguish, um, a lot of emotion, emotional anguish. And God just God didn't heal her. And you might ask why? Why put her through that? And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, see, for the Christian, the, the, there's suffering is not meaningless. There's a purpose to it, and and once you see the purpose, it, it, it's your perspective of suffering changes. Very much like an athlete, an athlete, a, a world class level athlete goes through all kinds of suffering. It's up early in the morning. You know, only eat certain foods. You know, um, uh, rejects anything that uh, all the fun foods and 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 exer- works out exercises trains you know, the, the mental uh, uh, challenge alone is great. And and they they do it all for so they have a shot and maybe I uh, breaking a world record or or at least. Uh, winning a competition. Uh, it's worth it to them, that that suffering. They go through that just for that moment of uh, being pronounced the winner. And then people go through suffering uh, for uh, great achievement. Uh, Missy and I, this past Friday, uh, went and saw the five Browns, uh, five uh, siblings who are just world-class pianists. Uh, all five of them attended and graduated from Juilliard, and uh, it was just an amazing thing to see. Uh, and they're clearly highly skilled. Um, beautiful music, very, very good with what they do. And, and as far as I know, you know, all of them are in their in their mid to late twenties, maybe early thirties. Still very young, but that that skill, that beauty they are able to bring to the world did not come without a cost. They all started learning to play the piano at three years old, and and practiced and practiced and practiced, and most of their childhood they they would spend uh, at least five hours a day practicing. Well, that comes without a cost. I I I. I they have to give up so much of their childhood uh, for that, to achieve that. Any friendships developing, they give that up to achieve that. A great deal of suffering, but it was worth it to them in order to achieve the skill level that they have achieved. And Paul here talks about it being worth the suffering that we're going through as Christians because it's going to achieve something amazing for us. We'll talk about that. In this last section, we see Paul's threefold testimony uh, to this, the future transfiguration that awaits us as suffering believers. In verses nineteen through twenty-two, we see uh, the sign of creation. And by the way, I have a lot of lists in in today's sermon. So if you love writing lists, this is your sermon this week. We see the sign of creation. In verses twenty-three to twenty-five, we see the yearning hope of Christians themselves. And then finally, the rest of it, we see the intercession of the Spirit which helps us in our prayers and lends words to our longing. Before we get into this, there are four points that really need to be made. First, notice that suffering and glory belong together. They are intertwined. Secondly, the sufferings and the glory characterize the two ages. We're suffering now, but we won't always be suffering. There will come a t- point in time when our suffering will end and then we'll spend eternity in glory. The sufferings, by the way, not include, don't, not, uh, include not only the opposition of the world, but our own human frailty as well, both physical, mental, mental. And moral, which is due to our provisional half-saved condition. I'm not saying that uh, that God only gives partial salvation from sins. I'm saying the condition in which the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This daily challenge we have with ourselves, this daily battle we have with ourselves. Thirdly, the sufferings and the glory can't be compared to each other. It's incomparable. Fourthly, the sufferings and the glory concern both God's creation and us as God's children. So it's everything. It's not just us. So with that, let's get into this. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Why do we suffer? I have four reasons why we suffer, and each one of them is sufficient on its own. Number one, by suffering we receive a gift this gift of sharing in Christ's affliction. When we suffer, we develop an appreciation for and intimacy with Christ that we would otherwise. Never know. Number two, suffering purifies believers. Something about suffering that purifies our character. You heard the term acid test or something, right? Well, the acid test was literally an acid test. Back when gold was traded, used as currency, those who were suspicious about what they were just given was, in fact, gold, would have nitric acid nearby, and they put the nitric acid on it. If it was real gold, it wouldn't be bothered at all. But anything there that wasn't real gold would be eroded away. The suffering does for us, it, it, it conditions us, it, it erodes that, that dross, that part of us that doesn't belong and purifies our hearts. Number three, suffering testifies of the reality of your faith. Often people, uh, when someone gets saved, things get suddenly get much worse. Everything just falls apart; they lose their job, their friends turn away from them they you know i uh, they start having all these issues and all these problems. That's a testament that you're doing something right because the devil's fighting against you, and number four. God is going to reward us for it. An amazing reward. And we're going to talk more about that later on. But it's this amazing reward that, as we see here uh, in verse 18, um, this glory is going to be revealed to us. It doesn't even compare. You can't compare the suffering that you're going through, no matter who you are and what you've been through. That that God reveals to us when our time comes is going to be is going to completely blow it out of the water. Verse nineteen. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Did you know that? All creation is is uh, is eagerly waiting awaiting it for, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Amplified Version says it this way, For the creation, nature, was subjected to frailty, to futility, condemned to frustration, not because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will will of him who subjected it. The apostle now makes three statements about creation which relate respectively to its past, future, and present. Notice at the very beginning of verse 20, uh, creation was subjected to frustration. God allowed sin to to negatively impact the world around us. And and then he goes in, uh, in verse 21, that the in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. So we see in some of the future, a creation itself is going to be liberated. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay, it says. Now that word decay in, in the Greek seems to note not only that the universe is running down, but that the nature is also enslaved, locked into an unending cycle. So that conception, birth, and growth are relentlessly followed by decline, decay, death, and decomposition. And the universe is slowing down. In fact, in in, in the January 5th uh, edition of Forbes, they reported that expansion of the universe is slowing down at an increasingly slower rate. It's getting slower faster. I was having a hard time knowing how to say that. The positively creation will be the future it will be liberated. Into the glorious freedom of the children of God. I, it's going to be interesting to see. Interesting to see how creation is affected by the final redemption. Because looking around at creation, I think, what exactly? How is it? been affected. I I can't imagine. But that's all we've known, so it's hard to know what we've lost because of sin. Verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now, so now, the the gro- creation is groaning. Right up to the present time, the creation is currently groaning with these labor, pay- this expectation of eventually God restoring creation to its rightful place. Verse twenty three, and not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly. Waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now here, Paul highlights different aspects of, of, of the what we're dealing with now, where 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 we have this this inward battle against the flesh, uh, and and you know we we deal with temptation and the struggles and the limitations we have. In the state we're in now, he makes five affirmations about it. First off, at the beginning of verse 23, we see that even now we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which indicates there's going to be a lot more. This is just the beginning, this is just a taste. What do we get in that taste? First, we get salvation. We're saved from our sins, we're pronounced innocent, then we're sanctified. Another fruit. God makes us holy, fills with His Spirit, and then and also the, the Spirit helps us, right? Encourages us, convicts us, uh, uh, teaches us, guides us, prays for us, prays with us. And we also have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness gentleness and self-control. As we walk with God, the Spirit produces this fruit in our lives. Secondly, we we groan, he mentions that we groan inwardly. There's internal discomfort. It's it's not enjoyable, it's not fun to, to deal with this. Thirdly, we we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we're, we're waiting to go home. This is not our world. Verse 24, now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees, right? That makes sense. If you already got it, you don't, there's no expectation no excitement this this hope this waiting for it's gonna happen I was thinking this I, this morning I, I Christmas is coming up and and I remember the excitement as a child for Christmas morning and the trouble I had sleeping the night before and I would often, be up at four o'clock in the morning and and being wise enough, even as a child, to not wake my mother up at four o'clock in the morning. I would quietly go in the living room turn on the Christmas tree lights and just sit there quietly, enjoying the moment. But I was excited. Christmas was coming. And the Christians were excited. Jesus is coming. There was a popular song in the 90s People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be going home. I would get so excited when I heard that song in the radio. Get ready. That's hope. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. We don't get exasperated. Oh, another day is done and Jesus hasn't come yet. No, we just live our lives. Thank the Lord for another day. Thank for grace for that day. Thank you for providing for our needs. Maybe tomorrow. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, these two verses are very significant. It says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Notice so it says in the same way, beginning of verse 26, in the same way the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness. What does he mean by that, in the same way? Well, in context, the comparison appears to be between the way hope sustains us in the midst of present sufferings. So in the same way, the Spirit sustains us by personally aiding us in our weakness. The idea is that we have more than enough resources to keep us going in the midst of earthly trials, we have enough resources. Don't be discouraged. Maybe you've been tempted to be discouraged, and 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 frustrated, and and down, and 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 feel beaten. Feel like you know, I the devil's won. I I can't do this anymore. I'm not strong enough, and and you're not strong enough. God is strong enough. Notice this verse 26 and 27 concerns the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's another part of what the Holy Spirit does for us. We saw that uh, in verses 2 through 8, the Holy Spirit helps us obey God. In 9 through 13, we... We, the Holy Spirit subdues our fallen nature. In verses 14 through 17, He, he assures, up, uh, assures us, bears witness that we are uh, children of God. And in 18 through 23, we see that the Holy Spirit provides us a guarantee and a foretaste of the blessings God has prepared for us. Now in verse 26, 27, he writes of the Holy Spirit in relation to our prayers. The uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is just as necessary for our prayers as the mediation of the Son. We can... Approach the Father only through the Son and only by the Holy Spirit. John Murray once wrote, thus the children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven, while the Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. What are we saying? We're saying that what the Bible says we are not doing this alone. You are not alone in this. God has your back. Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And here we see Paul have, has, he states, five unshakable convictions. Number one, we know that God works or is at work in our lives. This we know. There are things, five things we can know. We know that God is at work for the good of his people. God's not asleep. He's not on vacation. And he's certainly not dead. Secondly, we know God is at work. I'm sorry. We know that God works for our good in all things. Even the worst of situations, God, if we love the Lord, we're, we're, we're serving Him, God uses that terrible situation for our benefit and His glory. For, uh, fourthly, we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him. Fifthly, we know those who love God are also described as those who have been called according to his purpose. These are the five truths God about God, which Paul writes, we know. We do not always understand what God is doing, let alone welcome it, Nor are we told that he is at work for our comfort. But we know that in all things, he is working toward our supreme good. There's a young lady who was kidnapped by some Muslim extremists in Nigeria. A few years ago, her name escapes me at the moment. But I prayed for her. And every, every six months or so, I'll look on Google, see if I can find some news about her. And there might be a little something that somebody, uh, one of the, the Muslim group, makes a comment about her. Um, and I'm praying that she'd be released and, and she'd be back with her family. But God hasn't seen fit to allow that to happen. And they, they early on they threatened that she'd be killed or she wouldn't reject Christianity and, and and become a Muslim. And as far as I know, she's never done that, but she's still alive. In a bad situation, but but I know I, I know God and I know that whatever He's doing, it'll be for her good and His glory. Sometimes terrible things from terrible things amazing things happen. A long time ago a little boy, nine year old boy named Lewis, I was in his father's workshop, or his father was a shoemaker, and I the boy was standing near the workbench and an all fell from the workbench into his eye and did so much damage, the other, he lost sight in the other eye as well. He was completely blind, and his dad uh, did his best to help him and send him to a school for the blind, and, and the boy learned to read using large wooden blocks to try to feel the letters and, and read that way. And the years went by, and as a young man, Lewis was was in his father's shop and and started thinking there has to be a better way to read if you can't see. And he he took an awl, maybe even the same awl that cost him his sight, and he punched it into a piece of paper and made a little raised dot, which became the letter A in a reading system for the blind. Lewis Braille impacted millions of lives at the cost of his sight. I believe as Christians, when we, God has us suffer the impact is even greater. Lori suffered a great deal, like I said, mostly bedridden, but she was in this where she was in this position. She would attract young people, young people from broken homes, and, and drug problems. And they would come to her and they would stay with her even and, 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 and be with her and help her. And she would just love on them and pray for them and encourage them to Jesus. Dozens upon dozens of people, young people that I even knew about, it. I don't think I knew about them all. I believe that when we stand in heaven and we find out what's transpired that we're going to find out Lori made a much greater impact than anyone could have guessed back to verse 28 just a mention on the word love there. The word there is agape, which means to love unconditionally and sacrificially. Ultimately describes the love which God himself is. It's not sentimental or emotional love, but represents to, the obedience, to obedience as the act of one's will. And notice this is the only place in Romans where Paul wrote of the believer's love for God. And finally, for this verse, notice that this word love is in the present tense, which indicates agape is a believer's lifestyle. It should be our habit of life. Verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Predestined as in planned. Did you know God had been working on you longer than you were working towards him? A decision is involved in the process of becoming a Christian, but it is God's decision before it can be ours. Now, this isn't to deny that we, this is not to deny that we decided for Christ and freely, but to affirm that we did so only because He first decided for us, He planned. Let's go on to verse 30. We're running out of time. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Here we have six, we get into six unanswerable, well, I wouldn't call them unanswerable. Six questions. Number one, what then shall we say in response to this? In light of of Paul's five convictions and five affirmations, what is there left to say, he's saying, or what can we add? The answer is nothing. Question number two, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stand against us if God's for us? The answer is nobody. Verse 32 has a third question. He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? How would he not? God already gave us the most valuable gift. Everything else is easy. Question four in verse 33. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who has the authority to call a person guilty when God has pronounced them innocent? Who? Nobody. Verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who will condemn us? Jesus. Only Jesus has the right to condemn. And if you're under the grace of Christ, what will he say? Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nobody. Verse 32, uh, Paul quotes from Psalm forty four twenty two, As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. You know, Paul says we're more... Than victorious are more than conquerors. This does not mean that in, in does not mean that that we conquer in more. On the contrary, it may mean that we do not conquer at all, but we do more than conquering. In suffering, we 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 pull from defeat. Values that could never have been gained by conquest. Maybe it's like playing chess. In order to get better at playing chess... You have to play somebody, you have to lose. If you played against somebody who's much worse than you and you always won, you never learn anything. The more thoroughly the Lord brings our graces into exercise, the more fully shall they be developed, and the more mightily shall they be invigorated. Someone once wrote. Verse thirty nine. Height or, I'm sorry. Let me go back to verse thirty eight. For I'm persuaded that not even life or death or angels or rulers things present or things to come hostile powers height or death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul's not. Paul's five questions are not random. They're all about the kind of God we believe in. Together, they affirm that absolutely nothing can frustrate God's purpose since He's for us. Or quench His generosity since He has not spared His Son. Or accuse or condemn His elect since He has justified them through Christ. Or sunder us from His love since He has revealed it in Christ. So here Paul presented five convictions about God's providence, five affirmations about his purpose, five questions about his love, which together bring us to 15 assurances about God. God's on your side. God's pledge is that suffering will never God's pledge is not that suffering will never afflict us but that i will never separate us from his love i mentioned lori not long before and we're almost done not long before i uh, lori passed away she wrote something I want to share, talking about the lesson she learned in her suffering. Although the lesson about physical pain was one I needed to learn, it was not the most difficult pain to cope with. It was an emotional and spiritual pain I felt due to my condition that would often overwhelm me. There were many nights I asked God, why? God never answered in a way I easily understood. But evil did. Evil was quick to whisper lies in my mind. Evil would tell me, I deserve the pain. It laughed as it declared, I was not worthy of God's healing touch. Evil told me, I could never be good enough for God. That is what evil did. What God did was make the sun rise in the morning, assuring me, that light conquers darkness. God would paint the canvas of the sky he created in a masterpiece of beauty available for all to see. God showed me the delicacy and peace in our world by allowing me to sit in silence and prayerful meditation as I watched the seasons slowly change outside my window. God gave me the scriptures to read that reminded me that I was chosen in love before I was even born. God sent me friends and that gave comfort, companionship, and humor. They stood by me and answered my call when I was in need, and they continued to love me when I was undeserving. God gave me strength to hold on until morning during those long nights that evil assaulted my spirit. It didn't take long for me to stop asking God why. I knew that God did not caused my condition. What he did was give me the ability to cope with it and learn from it instead. He taught me to how to understand another person's pain. Whether it's physical or emotional, God gave me a comprehensive understanding upon which to draw from. He gave me a depth in understanding uh, all too well depression, loneliness, frustration, and even death. God taught me how to understand these conditions, but also understand that he is always beside me no matter how deep in darkness I would fall. I know from my own years of experience that God will always make the sun rise to silence the whispers in the dark. The second lesson God taught me was how to fight the evil whispers that plague us, anger, frustration, and loneliness are breeding grounds for evil to slip through the cracks of our angelic armor. Depression is a battleground for our souls. When we look inward, we see the sin and flaws in our lives and we tend to focus on our failures. Modern spiritualists tell us to look inward to find our inner peace, but God tells us to look upward and outward toward love and compassion to find peace. Now, right when she wrote this, Lori uh, was getting ready to go into surgery for a possible, that she was hoping it was really going to alleviate the pain she was dealing with. And so she wrote this. Wednesday came, Missy and I drove to the hospital excited, encouraged, and confident in the results. I awoke from surgery crying out in pain. Every movement caused my back muscles to contract in pain. It was horrible. I was shocked. It was not supposed to hurt like that. Something must have gone wrong. God had not blessed me with healing. I was going to live my life in pain, watching the clock in anticipation for the next dosage, alone, weak, and a burden. I also wanted to crawl into bed, load up on pain pills, and go to sleep, and that's what I did. I messaged my family and friends, telling them the surgery did not go well. Every time I woke up, I read messages of reassurance and confirmation that prayers were being spoken. I spent a very long, drug-induced, painful day, and even longer night listening as evil whispered in my ear. Then God made the sun rise. Not long after Lori wrote this, she passed away. I visited her when she first went into the hospital, and I didn't think it was that serious. She'd been in the hospital many times before and, and just seemed to get better and get out. But she looked at me and said, I'm dying. Oh, I can't go now. My son still needs me. At death's door, she neither looked forward to the relief of death nor clung to self-preservation. She was only concerned about others. A couple of days later, that, that afternoon, they flew her to Lubbock, and, and a couple of days later, Sunday night, in fact, we were here and, and getting ready to start church. And, and we got the word that Lori wasn't going to last very long. So Missy and I took off for Lubbock and we got there at the hospital and, and, and spent a little time with her waiting for her son to arrive. And, and Missy and I sang some songs to her. She wasn't conscious. And then her son came and, and we all said our goodbyes and shut off the machinery and she was gone within a few minutes. I don't know what Lori saw as she passed, but I bet it looked like a sunrise. Let's stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.